Again, it's good to see everyone here tonight and welcome all those who may be streaming the service this evening. And tonight we'd like to look in the book of Genesis chapter 41. We've been doing a study on the life of Joseph on our Wednesday night services. And last uh, service, which was two weeks ago, we concluded with chapter 40, where we find that Joseph was in prison. Now, Joseph had interpreted two dreams, one for the butler and one for the baker, and both of them came to pass just like Joseph had said. The dream of the baker was, and three days after that, he would be taken out of the prison, but he would die by the hand of Pharaoh. When it comes to the butler, he would be taken out of prison and restored back to his former position. Both of these came to pass exactly like Joseph had interpreted their dreams. We find where Joseph had mentioned to the butler to remember him because he had done nothing to be placed into prison but had been treated unjustly. But we read the sad words where the butler forgot Joseph. And we've been looking at different ways in which the Lord Jesus Christ is typified by Joseph. As I said last time, when you read the life of Christ in the four Gospels, it's like reading the life of Joseph. When you read the life of Joseph between Genesis 37 and Genesis 50, it's like reading the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in the four Gospels. We find many forget the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though He's our Lord and Savior, uh, we find that many of us do not remember Him as we should. We need to diligently work hard to remember Him on a daily basis with what He's done for us and what He is to us. But anyway, we open up Genesis chapter 41, and we find that two years pass. So after the interpretation of the dream of the butler and the baker, two years pass, Joseph is still in prison. The butler has not remembered Joseph. But now Pharaoh has two dreams that trouble him. Now, we know that Joseph uh, had been given two dreams that we read about in the beginning in Genesis chapter 37. These two dreams, without a doubt, God gave unto him, which showed his future exaltation, and that his brethren and others would bow down to him one day, and those dreams got him in trouble. His brethren envied him, and they hated him, and they put him into a pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites, who took him down to Egypt and sold him to the household of Potiphar. We find that Joseph then wound up in prison because Potiphar's wife unjustly accused him of something that was not true. Then God used two dreams I believe God gave to the butler and the baker in which he enabled Joseph to properly interpret them. And now he's going to use two dreams that God's going to give Pharaoh that's going to get him out of trouble. The first two got him into trouble. These two are going to get him out of trouble. Pharaoh has these dreams. We read about them beginning in verse 2. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine. That's K-I-N-E. That's basically a cow, a heifer-type cow, and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other kine came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and the lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke. But then he dreams again, he slept and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. And behold, seven thin ears, blasted with the east wind, sprung up after them. And the seven thin ears divided the seven rank and full ears, 
And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 5.8 that a dream cometh through the multitude of business. Now, we all know what dreams are. We've all had dreams. We probably uh, like to forget them as soon as possible. I know I do. Uh, I'm glad they vanish pretty quickly. Um, but some dreams are that way, and there are some dreams that God sends and did in the Old Testament day before the Bible was given to us. We find in Genesis chapter 28 where God appeared unto Jacob as he was fleeing from his brother Esau. He appeared to him in a dream. And that's when he saw heaven open and a ladder established between earth and heaven and angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. And that's when God revealed himself to him as the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob and his God, the God of Isaac, rather than his God, the God of Jacob. We find in Matthew 1 in verse 20 where the Lord appeared unto Joseph, the husband of Mary, in a dream concerning Mary, and told him to fear not to take unto Mary to be his wife, for that which conceived of her was of the Holy Ghost. She had not been unfaithful unto him. And God appeared unto Joseph in a dream. You go to chapter 2, you'll find where God appeared in a dream three more times to Joseph, and uh, once unto the wise men. So there were times God indeed communicated with his people through dreams. Generally speaking, God does not do that today. Because when God did it in that day, there was no such thing back in the book of Genesis uh, of the scriptures. The scriptures had not been recorded. Uh, in the day that Jesus uh, was born here and God dealt with Mary and Joseph, the New Testament had not yet been written. So God communicated in this manner and way. Now God could communicate with his people in any way that he so desires and purposes to do so. But generally speaking, God does not communicate with us in dreams today because he's given us his written word. His written word is to guide us and direct us. If you have a dream and you think, well, maybe the Lord's trying to tell me something, then you need to search the scriptures to see if the dream is in harmony with the truth contained in the Bible. If it's not, then just dismiss it. Just dismiss it. I've had a couple of dreams in my lifetime. That I felt like the Lord uh, gave me a message to go along with my experience. But generally speaking, that's not the case. Hebrews 1.1 says, who God, who had sundry times in diverse manners, spake in times past unto the prophets, has in his last days spoken to us by his Son. We have the Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scriptures given the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. The man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. But here God gives Pharaoh these two dreams, and his spirit is troubled, and he goes to the wise men in his kingdom, and they cannot interpret it. But there is one wise man that can. Now let's look, look at verse 8. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt, and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Now in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 19, the Bible says that God has destroyed the wisdom of the wise, and brought to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now here's the wise men of the world, but they can't help Pharaoh. They cannot interpret the dream. But for some reason, the chief butler remembers his faults. I have no doubt that God providentially has touched his heart. And by the way, Proverbs 21.1 says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He turned it whither he desireth as the rivers of water. God is touching the heart of Pharaoh here. He gives him two dreams that he cannot interpret, the wise men cannot interpret. So where is he going to turn? Well, for some reason, the butler now finally remembers his faults. It's good for all of us to remember our faults, isn't it? 
Of course, you've got to believe you have some to remember them. And I've met a few people in life who didn't think they ever had any faults. But in the book of James, chapter 5, we're told to confess our faults one to another and you shall be healed. We need to do that. We need to recognize that we have some faults of our own and not confess the faults of others, but confess our own faults. So now the butler remembers his fault. And he said unto Pharaoh, I do remember my faults this day. And Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he. We dreamed each man according to interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, an Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard. Of course, this is Joseph. And we told him, and he interpreted us our dreams to each man according to his dream, did he interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted us, so it was. Me he restored into mine office, and him he hanged. He rehearses this experience to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. <laughs> this is good news to Pharaoh. Uh, he sees that perhaps there's somebody that can interpret his dream and based upon the experience of the butler and his relating it to him, he feels like Joseph can do this. So he sent and called Joseph. Joseph receives the message. Now, Joseph's been in prison, again, since the butler was released for over two years. That requires a lot of prayer and a lot of patience. You know, we all need prayer and patience. That's two words that begin with the letter P. In fact, there's a lot of major subjects in the Bible that get, begin with the letter P. Predestination, preservation, perseverance, providence, power, prayer, patience. These are all very important subjects, all beginning with the letter P. Joseph has endured being in prison unjustly now over two years after the butler was released. But now it's come time for him to be delivered from the prison that he calls later a dungeon. He could never have been released without the divine intervention of God. God is going to bring him out at the proper time. Pharaoh sends for him. He sent and called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came into Pharaoh. <laughs> this is the third time that Joseph has lost his garments. <laughs> they stripped him his coat of many colors, his brethren did. Then Potiphar's wife grabbed his outer garment and held on to it when he fled. Now, once again, we find him losing his garments, but there's good news here because he's going to be clothed with another garment that we will see just a little bit further on. So, in that day, the Egyptians did not wear beards, but the Hebrews did. And before Joseph comes before Pharaoh, he's going to shave. He's going to change his garments. And then he came unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, verse 15, unto Joseph, I've dreamed a dream, and there's none that can interpret. And yet I heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. Now, one of the characteristics of Joseph we're going to find as we study his life is his humility, his modesty, his humility. We saw that earlier in chapter 40 uh, over here and in verse, um, when he was interpreting the dreams in verse 8, he, they said unto him, we have dreamed a dream and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me them, I pray you. Joseph is not going to take credit He's going to point out ahead of time that it is God that interprets dreams. He says here, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. 
Now, beginning in verse 17, we come down through verse 24, and we're going to find where Pharaoh is going to relay uh, his dreams, or relate his dreams now unto Joseph. Now, we've already gone over those two dreams, and those two dreams is telling a story of something that's going to take place in the very near future. And we look at verse 25, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. Now God's about to do something, and God's showing Pharaoh about what he's going to do. He's going to use these two dreams to bring Joseph out of prison. Joseph had been mistreated by his brethren. He'd been mistreated by the Egyptians. He'd been placed into a dungeon. It's going to require God to get him out. And God's got him out, right? That ought to remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ who was mistreated by his brethren. The Jewish people that he was born in, in the midst of mistreated him. John chapter 1 verse 11 said he came into his own, his own received him not. They did not receive him. They rejected him as the promised Messiah. They rejected him as the Christ of the Old Testament prophets. They rejected him. And then just like the Gentile Egyptians misused and abused Joseph, we're going to find where the Roman Gentiles did the same things to the Lord Jesus Christ. They mistreated him. They, of course, the soldiers stripped him of his garments. The soldiers scourged him. The soldiers mocked him, etc., etc. And then Christ will be crucified, and he's going to be placed into a sepulchre, into a barred tomb of Joseph Arimathea. But God's going to get him out. Just like God got Joseph out of the dungeon, he's going to get Christ out of the grave. Look over here in the book of Acts chapter 2 in a sermon of the Apostle Peter, in verses 22 and 23. The Apostle Peter says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. But God hath raised him up. It says, For it was not possible. Now I love this verse. It, is not, it was not possible that the pains of death should hold him. The pains of death could not hold the Lord Jesus Christ. He could not be holding up. It was not possible. It wasn't just something that was, you know, uh, difficult or whatever. It was not possible for death to hold the Lord Jesus Christ in that barred tomb. For God raised him up. He was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Even though wicked hands crucified him, God raised him up. It was not possible that he should be holding of death. He was loosed from the pains of death. The last verse of Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, For he was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Joseph went from being a servant and a prisoner. And we will see in just a few minutes, from that position, he's going to wind up being second in command in all the land of Egypt. <laughs> How is something like that possible? Here's a Hebrew servant who was put into a, a pit by his own brethren with the intentions of taking his life. But they finally sell him to the Ishmaelites who take him down to Egypt. And they think we'll never see him again. He winds up being sold to Potiphar. Now he is a servant in the household of Potiphar. Just another, uh, another prison experience, really. And then he's lied upon. He's unjustly accused. He winds up being put into prison by Potiphar with no hope of getting out as far as human eye could see. 
But at God's appointed time, God's going to use these two dreams of Pharaoh to stir up the mind of the butler who's going to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. He sends for Joseph. He tells the dreams to Joseph. And Joseph now tells him that God will give him an answer of peace and he's going to show Pharaoh what he is about to do. <laughs> now what's he about to do? He's going to bring seven years of plenty be followed by seven years of famine. He's foretelling the future of the next 14 years. Notice what he says in verse 26. He says the seven good kind are seven years and the seven good years ears are seven years and the dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears, blasted with the east wind, shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God's about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. God is showing this to Pharaoh. These dreams are going to be interpreted by Joseph. And then, he beginning in verse 29, he says, Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there shall rise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine following, for it shall be very grievous. And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It's because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. I wonder what Pharaoh thought about that. <laughs> the next 14 years are outlined for Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine and God is going to bring it to pass. This is not just going to be some natural occurrence, but God intervening by his power is going to bless the land abundantly for seven years and then all of a sudden there's going to be seven years of famine. God has showed this unto Pharaoh. The two dreams are actually one. He's doubled it up to establish the word of God. In Look at verse 33. Not only has Joseph, not only has Joseph interpreted a dream, but now Joseph is going to instruct Pharaoh. And that required boldness. <laughs> you just don't instruct Pharaoh. You don't tell Pharaoh what to do, but Joseph did. <laughs> now, in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ concerning the things that he showed unto his servants which must shortly come to pass. These 14 years are going to shortly come to pass. In the near future, the land's going to start bringing forth plenty. It'll take place for seven years. The number seven in the Bible is a number of completion and perfection. But after that ends, it will not be six and a half years. It will not be six years or seven. It's going to be seven years exactly. And after that, the time of seven years of famine shall take place. It will not be six years of famine, six and a half years of famine, seven and a half years of famine. It's going to be seven years exactly of famine. When God specifies a time period, it's exact and precise. Not only does Joseph interpret the dream, but now he's going to instruct Pharaoh what to do. This points us, does it not, to... Some things of the Lord Jesus Christ, a prophecy of Christ in Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called what? Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's one of the names given to Christ. He was a counselor. Here we find where Joseph, after interpreting a dream, is going to give counsel. He's going to instruct Pharaoh 
what he needs to do. Now, Pharaoh didn't say, well, what do you think we ought to do? He didn't say that. <laughs> Joseph takes it upon himself to instruct him. That required some faith in God, didn't it? It required boldness because you just didn't tell a ruler what he's going to do. <laughs> but Joseph did. Verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and send him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. Here's the plan. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, but the land that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all of his servants. Remember, once again, Proverbs 21.1, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. As rivers of water, and he turneth them whithersoever that he desireth. Pharaoh could have easily said, well, Joseph, that all sounds pretty far-fetched to me. You're telling me we're going to have seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, and that's, that's kind of far-fetched. I don't know about that. And the very fact that you're instructing me how to handle this, do you know who you are? You're a Hebrew slave that I just took out of the prison up here before me, and you're trying to tell me what to do? Surely the hand of God was on the heart of Pharaoh. You know, uh, there are times when I've talked to people, and they'd say, well, Brother Lawrence, uh, you know, I have to work on Sunday, and, uh, you know, I don't have any choice about the matter. And I tell them, I said, well, have you prayed about it? Have you asked the Lord to touch the heart of your employer that he just might uh, uh, look upon you in a favorable manner, in a favorable way, and might offer you something different? God can do that. God can intervene. If, he, if the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, surely the heart of every man is in the hand of the Lord. The Lord can do things for us just like he did in the case of Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. When Daniel was commanded, along with the Hebrew children, to eat the uh, best of the king's meat and the king's wine, and that was against uh, the dietary laws that God had given unto the Jewish people. And Daniel refused to do that, and he went to the prince of the eunuchs. He could have just said, well, what choice do I have? You see, what choice do I have? Uh, I, I'm a servant. I'm a prisoner. I'm in a foreign country. I mean, what choice do I have? I don't want to do it, but what choice do I have? Well, Daniel had a choice, and he took it. He took it to God. He took to the prince of the eunuchs. The Bible says that God brought Daniel into favor with the prince of the eunuchs. But he told the, Daniel, he says, well, my life would be in danger if I don't do what the king said. He said, well, just give us a test for 10 days. Just give us uh, the seeds of beans and peas, which is in uh, water. That's just a pulse. A pulse was a seed of beans and peas in water. And then compare us to the other ones who eat the best of the king's meat and wine and see for yourself. And so the prince of the eunuch did that. Because God brought Daniel into favor. And when he did, Daniel and Hebrew children looked far more healthy than the rest of them did because God honored the prayer and the request and the action by faith of Daniel and Hebrew children. Joseph gives them the proper interpretation. Joseph gives him instruction. And this is pretty amazing when you think about it. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of all the servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, as a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Did you notice he recognizes that the Spirit of God is in this man? He recognizes this man has given us this interpretation, not by some occult magic, you know, 
Now, he's not a magician. He's given us the interpretation. He knows he has the testimony of, of the, yes, the butler, but this is really a far-fetched interpretation when you think about it. What basis did he have to, to convince Pharaoh? Well, the providence of God convinced him. He says, the Spirit of God is in this man. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. <laughs> he said, I've never found anybody as wise as you are. In other words, Joseph greatly impressed him. He's very much impressed by the knowledge and the wisdom of Joseph. When Jesus was here, when he preached that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, after he concluded that sermon, the Bible says, and they were astonished, they were astonished at his doctrine. For he spake as one who had authority, as the scribes. In John chapter 7, verse 46, the Bible says, there were those who went after Jesus, they came back without him, and when the Pharisees questioned him about it, they said, never man spake like this man spake. <laughs> That's one of my favorite verses too. Uh, we come right down to it over a period of time. I guess every verse in the Bible has been my favorite for one reason or the other. But anyway, this is one of my favorite. Never man spake like this man spake. Oh, how, how tempted it is to, to go off on that one. But nevertheless, never man has ever spoken like this man spoke. They were astonished. When Jesus was 12 years old, when he lost his parents, when he lost Mary and Joseph, and they came back, where did they find him? They found him in the temple. What was he doing? He was talking to lawyers and doctors. He's 12 years old, talking to doctors and lawyers. And the Bible says they were astonished at his answers and his questions. They were astonished at him. They were highly impressed with Joseph. They were highly impressed with his interpretation, highly impressed with his instructions. Who is this man? God had to be in it, did he not? Look in the book of Colossians chapter uh, Chapter 2, I believe it is in verse 3. It says, for in Christ, all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are hid. He, Paul calls knowledge and wisdom treasures. He says they're hid in Christ. Christ is wisdom personified. When Christ spoke, he always spoke truth. He spoke plain. Never man spake like this man spake. And they've never heard a man speak like Joseph is speaking right here. I can assure you, but they recognize the Spirit of God is in this man. And so Pharaoh says, well, who, who can we set aside any wiser than you are? Verse 40. Now shall be over my house, and according to my word, shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Notice this. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. The people will be ruled by the word of Joseph, just like we should be ruled by the word of Christ. What did Paul tell Timothy to preach? He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2, to preach the word, didn't he? To preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Again, 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture, that is the word of God, the scriptures, is given by divine inspiration and is profitable. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is ruled by the word of God, not ruled by the fashions of men, not ruled by what's popular, not ruled by what's acceptable out here in the world. It should be ruled by the word of God. Hebrews 1.1, Christ hath in his last days, or God in his last days spoken to us by his son. Joseph would rule the kingdom by his word, and the Lord Jesus Christ rules his church by his word.
And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Now here's the garments he's going to wear. I told you earlier, he lost his garments on three occasions. But now garments are given to him and these are royal garments. These are garments of fine linen given unto Joseph and a gold chain around his neck. And Pharaoh takes off his ring and gives it unto Joseph. All this showed that Joseph had authority from Pharaoh to do what Pharaoh set him apart to do. And he made him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. He hath made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. God not only gets Joseph out of prison, out of the dungeon, but he exalts him. He exalts him. Now, what do we read about the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians 2 and 9? For he took upon him the fashion of a man, and he owned himself unto death, even the death of the cross. For God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Joseph was taken out of prison and exalted next to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And the Lord Jesus Christ is raised from the dungeon of death, you might say, in that sepulchre, and he's exalted on the right hand of the majesty on high. And then he's in the second chariot, Joseph is, and they parade him through Egypt where all could see he's in the place of authority. That's what Peter said about Christ in his sermon there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He said, let all the house of Israel assuredly know that this same Christ that you crucified and slain, God had raised him from the dead and made him both Lord and Christ. Joseph is exalted and the Lord Jesus Christ was exalted, was he not? God got Joseph out of prison and God the Father got his son out of the grave. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, Zephnepaaneah. And he gave him a wife, and Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Now let's see what Pharaoh has given unto Joseph. He gave him his ring. He gave him his apparel of fine linen. He gave him the gold chain. He now gives him another name. And that name means revealer of secrets. The name fits, doesn't it? Revealer of secrets. Well, surely that points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ revealed many things unto those that he taught and preached to during his ministry. He revealed the, the will of the Father. John 6, 37 through 39. All the Father giveth me shall come to me. And he had come to me, I'll no wise cast out, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me, and this is the Father's will, all he hath given me. I shall lose nothing but raise up against at the last day. Aren't you glad about that revelation? I'd love to have a dollar for every time I've quoted those verses. <laughs> Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's the will of God. Why wouldn't I rejoice in knowing the will of my heavenly Father? He says, I'm going to be in heaven one sweet day. Everyone whom the Father gave me shall come to me, and I will no wise cast him out. The will of my Father is I would come down from heaven and lose nothing but raise him again at the last day. Then there were times when Jesus revealed the thoughts that men had in their hearts. Remember there in Luke chapter 7 when that sinner woman was washing 
the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ with the tears that came from her eyes. And that Pharisee, Simon, whose house he was in, he said, thought within himself, if this man was who he said he was, he wouldn't allow this. And Jesus knew exactly what his thoughts were and revealed him in his uh, question and answer session. In Matthew chapter 9, you'll find with those four men, as we mentioned last Sunday, he brought that one man sick of the palsy and he led him down through the tile of the, of the roof. And the first thing he said to him, thy sins be forgiven. Then the Bible says, those Pharisees and those scribes there, they said within themselves, thought within themselves, this is nothing but blasphemy. And Jesus said, why do these evil hearts arise in your hearts? And he revealed exactly what was in them. He's a revealer of secrets. The name was appropriate. Now from here on, uh, it's kind of interesting. Pharaoh never calls him by this name. Pharaoh always calls him by the name of Joseph. And then Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. If you were reading the Gospel of Luke chapter 3, verse 23, you'll find where it says, And Jesus was about 30 years of age when he went into his ministry. Again, we're seeing a picture of Joseph of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, that'd be really easy to overlook. But if you go back to Luke chapter 3, and verse 22, the verse before the one I just told you, you'll find where Christ was baptized. And when he was baptized, the heavens was open, and the Spirit of God descended, body form and shape of a dove, and a voice rang out, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus, being about the age of 30, went out. In other words, he went out from the presence of God. God's presence was there when Jesus was baptized. It's always a joy to baptize somebody, especially when you can feel the presence of God. And I tell you, one of the greatest joys in my life was when I was baptized and felt the presence of God in my life. <laughs> and, and God the Father was present when his son was baptized. And then about 30 years of age, he begins his gospel ministry. Beginning in verse 47 you're going to find the seven plenteous years begin. And the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls, etc. And Joseph began to gather. You'll find Joseph to be a very active man from this point forward. I want you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and tell me when Jesus ever took a day off. Read those four Gospels and tell me when Jesus ever took a day of vacation. Read those four Gospels and tell me one time you can ever read where he sat down and started whittling a stick. The Lord Jesus Christ was the most active man who ever lived upon the face of this earth. He had his day planned out before he went to bed that night, and when he went to bed the next night, it was all accomplished. Joseph was a busy man, an active man, carrying out the will of Pharaoh and doing what he told Pharaoh needed to be done. And we come to verse 50. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God had caused me to be fruitful in the land of mine affliction. Now I've used those verses as a subject in the past, um, and we can't do that tonight. But these two names are very significant. As always, names in the Bible, the meaning of names are very significant. I enjoy studying the names of places and people in the Bible. He names these two sons based upon his experiences. The first one is Manasseh, which means God hath made me forget. Now, Joseph had not forgotten his brother and putting him in that pit. I guarantee you that. He had not forgotten that Potiphar's wife unjustly and falsely accused him. He hadn't forgotten that. He hadn't forgotten that the butler forgot him. I can assure you that. 
But all the pain and all the sorrow that went along with those experiences, he forgot them. He forgot them. He put them behind him. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul writing in Philippians chapter 3. We said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The only way you can live a fruitful life is to do some forgetting. You have to forget the pain. You have to forget the sorrow that you've had along life's pathway when you've been mistreated, when people uh, have abused you one thing or another. You know, you cannot forget the event, I'm sure, but you can forget the pain and the sorrow that went along with it. But to do that, God has to help you do it. He said, God hath made me forget all my pain and sorrow. That's what he made him forget. In the name of the second was Ephraim. He said, for God had caused me to be fruitful in the land. What? Of my affliction. He says, this is the land of my affliction. And God had made me to be fruitful. God made me to forget. And God made me to be fruitful. And to be fruitful, you've got to forget. There's a few things you've got to forget. And we should desire to be fruitful. That's a sign of discipleship. One of the purposes of discipleship is to be fruitful, live a fruitful life, right? And Joseph lived a very fruitful life. Through his wisdom, the entire land is being blessed. He's storing up, he's managing everything that God has blessed that land to bring forth. They're being blessed. He's being fruitful. He has a wife, he has two children, two sons. <laughs> he's fruitful. The Lord Jesus Christ lived the most fruitful life of anybody who's ever lived. Notice John chapter 17, the opening verses, when he prays to the Father. He says, Father, the hours come that thou should glorify thy Son, that he might also glorify thee, as thou hast given him power of all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. How can you be more fruitful than that? John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, they hear my voice, and they follow me, and I've given them eternal life, and they shall never perish. How can you get more fruitful than that? And no man can pluck them out of my hand, and the Father which gave them me is, more, is greater than all. And no man can pluck them out of the Father's hand. How can you get any more fruitful than that? He opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the ears of the deaf. He enabled the lame to walk. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. He had the gospel preached to the poor. How can you be more fruitful than that? Yes, Joseph was fruitful, but it's just a picture of one that was more fruitful in the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So he names his two sons based upon his experiences in the land of his affliction. And the seven years of plentifulness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come. Just like Joseph said. There's never been anything that Jesus said that hadn't come to pass. Just exactly like Jesus said it would. Now let's conclude tonight by looking at the last three verses. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go unto Joseph. What he said to you do. Does that sound familiar? Read John chapter 2 when Jesus was there in Canaan land. And he had the first miracle where he turns water into wine at a marriage there. What did Mary say unto the disciples? Whatsoever he saith unto you, do. Now that's the best advice I've ever given to anybody. I've tried to give advice and counsel to a few people along life's pathway. None any better than that one. Whatsoever Jesus says, just do it. <laughs> You'll never go wrong. <laughs> 
You can't go wrong doing what Jesus says do. So Pharaoh says, whatever Joseph said do, do it. And the famine was over all the face of the earth and Joseph opened all the storehouses. Does that begin to stir your mind just a little bit? I'm telling you, heaven is a storehouse, isn't it? A storehouse of mercy, a storehouse of grace, a storehouse of compassion. It's a storehouse of of favor that God gives his people and it's totally full. God never has a shortage of any of those in glory. We face a shortage from time to time of different things, but there's no shortage of the mercy of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the compassion of God. He said he opened all the storehouses. He had been a wise manager. When that seven years of plenty, he did what he told Pharaoh somebody shouldn't do. He stored it all up. And now the time has come when the famine is coming into the land and they're coming to him from all over the country. Notice verse 56. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. It wasn't just in Egypt. It was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all, all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians. The famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt and Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was sore in all the lands. I want you to understand something here tonight. That God's got a people around this globe. God's got a people in all the earth. The Bible tells us three different times in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5 and 9. Revelation 7 and 9. And Revelation 14 and 6. That there's a people belongs to God out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people upon the face of this earth. And when they cry unto the Lord Jesus Christ, he opens up the storehouses of heaven. He may be a black man, a white man, a red man, a yellow man. It might be a man. It might be a woman. It might be somebody's a, a slave. It might be a free man. It doesn't matter. He might be a Jew. It might be a Gentile. But if they're in the family of Christ, born of the Spirit of God, and they call upon heaven, my friends, to Jesus Christ, the storehouses of heaven can be opened up. He's rich unto all those that call upon his name. Has he been rich to you? <laughs> when you called upon his name, uh, did he shortchange you? When you called upon his name and asked him for help, did he not help you? When you called upon his name and asked for courage, did he not provide it? When you called upon his name and asked uh, for assistance and guidance, did he not give it to you? Surely he did. <laughs> I'm here to testify tonight. I guess I'm the one who's speaking. I'll testify here tonight that he's always given me every single thing I've ever stood in need of. He's never has replied back to me. Sorry, we're out. Karen saw some shoes that she really wanted, some walking shoes, and she found them online at a nice discount. And boy, she was excited about it. And she ordered them. And so today she gets a message and the message was, we're sorry we cannot fill your order because we have a standard to meet and the shoes you've ordered do not match up to our standards so we're not able to send you the shoes. <laughs> well, I appreciate the integrity of the company. <laughs> you ever got a message like that from heaven? Has the Lord ever given you back a message like that? I guarantee you what God's got to give you meets the standard. It'll meet God's standard every time, will it not? You're never going to get a reply that what you want doesn't meet the standards of God. <laughs> oh, yo, he'll open up the storehouses, my friends, to you. Until next time, may God bless you here tonight. And we will pick up in Genesis chapter 42 in our next session.